Hello, this is Aaron Bounds, pastor of the Anchor Church located in Zanesville, Ohio. I want to say thanks for tuning in today. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you to live the life God called you to live. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Isn't it wonderful to be in church on a Tuesday night in the presence of God? And uh, with the presence of God, because the people of God love the presence of God, they come with the presence of God. And so I'm glad to be in His presence and in your presence. So thankful for the word of the Lord. Um, I'm a teacher, uh, sometimes a screecher, occasionally a preacher. Uh, <laughs> and uh, if you're a perfectionist like me, uh, sometimes when I'm with leaders, I teach about personality types. And if you're a perfectionist like me, somebody said to me one time, are you a recovering perfectionist? I said, no. Why would you want to recover from perfection? That's just crazy. (laughs) If you're a perfectionist like me, you probably came expecting that we would finish up what we started last night. I came expecting that we would finish up what we started last night. We may get there before the end of the week, but uh, it's a hard thing for a teacher to stop in the middle of a lesson, I got to tell you, but it's a wonderful thing. God moved here last night. So thankful for all of you and your response to the Word of God. So this is sort of the same, sort of different, along the same line. About a month ago, the Lord dealt with me on this subject and uh, wasn't planning on preaching it here. I was planning on doing part two last night, actually, tonight. But the Lord uh, firmly guided me toward this. And so uh, here's where we are. Uh, Lift up your hands, your voice, your attention, your words. Hmm. There is such a release. Pastor's exactly right. There's such a release in the spirit in this great church. It may look like you're surrounded but you're surrounded by the promises of God. (laughs) It may look like you're surrounded, but the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I pray the word of God is a strength to you tonight. Go ahead and be seated. If you got your Bible, get that ready. I want to preach to you for a few minutes tonight on the subject, Shield of Faith. Shield of Faith. I want to go to the epistles written by Paul to Timothy. You know, one-third of the New Testament was either written by Paul to Timothy or by Paul and Timothy. In other words, Timothy was with him when he wrote. Paul spent his ministry investing in the next generation. That's what I see here happening here at the Anchor Church. I, I, I see the wonderful young people, the students from that Christian school and from this great youth group. And I watch all of you young men and women up here at the front. There's nothing greater or better than that. Paul loved the next generation. 
Here's what he wrote to Timothy. 1 Timothy 1 verse 18. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Somebody shout out, good warfare. Same epistle, chapter 6, verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Someone shout, good fight. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession. Someone say, good profession, before many witnesses. Paul wrote a second letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, verse 3. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Someone say, good soldier. And finally, at the end of that second letter, this is the last letter he will ever write on this planet. He wrote these words, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Someone say, good fight. Someone shout, good fight. Hmm. Now, the question begs to be answered because we don't normally say a fight is a good fight. Why is it a good fight? Well, here's some reasons. You may be able to come up with ten more. Here's my top five. It's a good fight because, number one, God is fighting for you. That's why it's a good fight. If God is on my side... What can man do unto me? <laughs> if God be for us, who can be against us? It's a good fight because God is fighting for you. There's another reason it's a good fight. You win. That's why it's a good fight. It's already a foregone, foredrawn conclusion. The book of Revelation tells us that in the end, the church is not just the apple of his eye. They are the bride of Christ in eternity forever. They are beautiful. They are powerful and they are eternal. And the devil can't do anything about it. He tries to put up a fight. He tries to put up resistance, but he's already a defeated foe. It's a good fight because God is fighting for you. It's a good fight because you win. It's a really good fight because the devil loses. That's awesome. Um, I, I'm not a hateful kind of a person. I'm not vindictive. Um, not, not really at all. I just think everybody just needs to kind of get along and treat everybody kind. But I tell you what, I am looking forward to seeing the devil going down big time. He has opposed the people of God. He has tried to hurt God's creation. He has tried to addict humanity. And it's a good fight because the devil loses. It's also a good fight, number four, because your battle has an expiration date. I don't care what you are going through, how the enemy has attacked you, what kind of sickness you may be experiencing, what kind of sadness you may be encountering, what kind of chaos is in your home right now. Your battle has an expiration date. There is coming a day when God is going to say, it's over. And when God says, it's enough, it's enough. When God says, you're coming out, you're coming out. There's nothing the devil can do about it. And while your battle has an expiration date, the mercies of God are new every morning. His mercy never expires. 
Oh, my. I'm so grateful that no matter what I'm walking through, the Lord already knows how it's going to end. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. Job was in the fight of his life. He lost his possessions. He lost his wealth. He lost his homes. He lost his children. He lost his health. He even lost his wife. She said, why don't you just curse God and die? Well, thank you, dear. We only know two things Job's wife said to him. One was curse God and die. Do you know what the other one was? He said it later in the book. He said, my breath is strange to my wife. That woman only said two things to him that we know of. Curse God and die and your breath stinks. That's it. That's what she said. That's not nice. And Job was in the fight of his life. And Job didn't know when he was coming out of that fight. It had gone on for so long. His friends came. They just sat and stared at him for a week. And then they started talking, and it got worse. They blamed Job for all kinds of stuff. They said, you got to be hiding sin. There's got to be something undercover in your life. You can't be doing right, or God wouldn't let this happen to you. And Job kept trying to defend his integrity, but he was so sick, and he was in so much pain, and he'd suffered so much loss, and so much heartache, and so much defeat, that he begins saying stuff like this, I just cursed the day that I was born. I wish I'd never been born. This is hard. This is tough. But then, as you read through that book, something settled in Job's spirit. And he began to say stuff like this, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I don't know how this is going to end, but I can tell you this, I trust in God all the way to the end, whatever the end is. And then he says this, and to me, this is the punchline. Because Job said, I can't tell you when I'm coming out of this. I can't give you the day or the date or the hour or the circumstance. I can't tell you when I'm coming out of this. But I can tell you how I'm coming out of this. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. I don't know when I'm getting out of this trial, but when I come out, watch me, devil. I'm not coming out bitter. I'm not coming out backslid. I'm not coming out cold and indifferent and with an attitude. When God is finished, on the day that I come out, I'm coming out as gold. I can't tell you for the life of me when I'm coming out, but I can show you how I'm coming out. I'm coming out of this the very same way I'm walking through it with my hands lifted and my voice lifted and worshiping God all the way through, all the way my Savior leads me. Hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, forgot. Okay, so it's a good fight because God is fighting for you. It's a good fight because you win. It's a good fight because the devil loses. It's a good fight because your battle has an expiration date. And fifth reason it's a good fight, it's a good fight because despite the devil's best attempts, the battle only makes you stronger. 
Some of us, we got into stuff in our lives and we thought, I'm going to die. The Lord's going to kill me. It's going to be awful. I'll never survive. But you know what? We're on the other side of it now. And if we had a message for you and you're young in the Lord, you haven't been serving God very long. When I look back down the road, I see how God brought me through. I didn't come out weaker. I came out stronger. I didn't come out with a bad attitude. I came out with a greater love for God and his word. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Strongholds are mentalities that get in our minds. You can have a stronghold of addiction. You can have a stronghold of some kind of bondage. You can have a stronghold of lust. You can have a stronghold of some kind of perversion. But you can have strongholds of hatred or bitterness or all kinds of things can be a stronghold in your mind. But I've got good news for you. We are not fighting a battle after the flesh. There is a power in the weapons of our warfare that can tear down strongholds. Last night we talked about prodigals at the very end and, and, and God can tear down the strongholds that uh, impregnate the minds of prodigals. They don't think they want anything to do with God or church or maybe even you. But God, if you'll pray and if you'll be faithful to intercede, God can tear down those strongholds and restore something in them that they didn't think was possible. Oh my. Ephesians chapter 6, here's where I want to spend a little bit of time tonight. Verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. How many know the devil's really fighting right now? This is the last of the last days and the end of the end times and the devil's cunning and crafty and cruel and he's fighting. But if we put on the whole armor of God, we can stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, he says it again, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I know sometimes it's easy for us in a democracy like America or Canada, where I'm from, to kind of get an attitude like, you know, all these people in power, they have agendas and plots and whatever, and, and that may partially be true. I don't know. That's above my pay grade. But I do know this, that there are all kinds of agendas in spiritual high places. And the devil uses people like pawns. And so some of the people, you be very careful that you don't hate them and think, well, they could never be saved. You don't know who could be saved. If God could save a, a terrorist who killed Christians like the Apostle Paul and make him the greatest writer and theologian and missionary of the first century, don't you say God couldn't save them, God couldn't save that lifestyle, God couldn't save them out of that perversion, God couldn't save them, they're too rich, they're too powerful, they're too this, they're too that. You have no idea what God can do when the church goes to prayer. You have no idea. And so that's what we're fighting against, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in the real high places. The high places aren't a certain government office. The high places are in the spirit. 
So tonight I want to remind you, this great church, I want to remind you to remember who you are and remember what you are fighting against. You are in a battle, and that battle has accelerated in the end times, in the last days. It is a battle uh, for your family. It is a battle for your mind. It is a battle for everything that is pure and godly and decent in this great nation called America. It is a battle. But the devil has not counted on the might of the church when she goes to prayer. Ephesians 6 and verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you, here he goes again, the whole armor of God, that you may be able to, to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Someone say, stand. Stand, therefore. Someone say, stand. And then he goes through the armor, having your loins girded about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So when you look at the whole armor of God, let me break it down this way. We wear four things, we carry two things, and we do one thing. That's the armor. We wear four things, we carry two things, and we do one thing. Here are the four things that we wear. We wear the girdle of truth, having your loins girt about with truth. Now, the devil is a liar. He couldn't tell the truth standing on a stack of Bibles. He is a liar and the father of lies. The devil's native language is lying. If the devil's speaking, he's lying. If the devil's breathing, he's a spirit being. I don't think he does. But if he's breathing, he's lying. You ever heard them that said about somebody, if they're breathing, they're lying? Well, that's very true of the devil. I'm not even sure he breathes, but he lies all the time. The devil will tell you you might as well give up. The devil will tell you you're not worthy. The devil will tell you God's not pleased with you. The devil will tell you God doesn't love you. The devil will tell you the church doesn't love you. The devil will tell you your marriage is never going to be good. The devil will tell you your kids are never coming home. Every time he says any and all of the above, he is lying to you because he wants to get you to stop fighting him. And so he just lies to you and lies to you and lies to you. And the reason he lies is because he wants you to stop pushing back. The devil's a liar, but the believer whose life is controlled by truth, that girdle, that belt of truth, it was central to the armor. All the rest of the armor connected to it. It held the rest of the armor together, and it also held the sword. And so the belt of truth, the girdle of truth, is what we need to wear. Unless you walk in the truth, you have no right to use the word 
word of truth. Unless you walk in the truth, you have no confidence to use the word of truth. That's what happens to a lot of people. They're living a double life. They've got their church life, but they've got their real life at home. And all of that is just condemnation. They know up to here, but they've only obeyed up to here. And the difference between those two points is all condemnation from the enemy because he knows how you're really living. He knows. He can see what you're doing at home. He can see all of that. But the child of God, their life is governed by the truth of the word of God. Don't ever be afraid of truth. Don't ever be put off by truth. We need the truth. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Your first step toward deliverance is saying, I agree with the word of God. If it says I got a sin problem, I agree. If it says I need to repent, I agree. I agree with the truth of the word of God. And then we wear the breastplate of righteousness. Now, don't let the, the medieval diagram fool you. The breastplate in Bible times was made of metal, and it covered the upper body in the front and in the back. The devil cannot accuse the believer who is living a righteous life. Pastor said one of my favorite statements when I have the privilege of teaching about holiness, I am saved, I was saved, I will be saved. I'm being saved today. Yes, I was saved when I experienced the new birth. But every day that I live, I've got to walk in righteousness. I've got to walk in godliness. I've got to walk in holiness. Every day that I live, God is breaking the power of sin over my life. If you're new here at the Anchor Church, let me tell you how this works. You've looked around, you've looked at all these good people, and you've thought to yourself, I could never do that. And you know what? You are exactly right. You could never do that. And they can't do it either. Nobody lives for God long term in their own strength. Nobody lives for God long term in the efforts of the flesh. But if you'll let his Holy Spirit govern your life, he will pull off the shackles of sin. You'll start with a bunch of baggage. God breaks you out of bondage when you're born again, but you still got some baggage. You got some memories, you got some struggles, you got some people at your place that they're not going the same direction and you come into this with some baggage. But if you'll live for God long enough, if you'll walk in the spirit long enough, if you'll pray in faith long enough, God begins to break that stuff off of you. And you'll get to the point where you look back behind you and you think, I don't know how I got here, but Jesus saw me all the way through. Nobody serves God long term because they're strong in their flesh. They serve him because they live a righteous life. And if you live a righteous life, it's a breastplate. It, it fortifies you against the devil's attacks. He'll try to send darts of condemnation against you. But you know your life. And if you're living a righteous life, he can't get to you. But if you're not living a righteous life, it sticks. That condemnation, that accusation, it sticks to you. The life you live every day 
either fortifies you against the devil's attacks or the life you live every day makes it easier for him to defeat you. Righteousness protects your heart. Some people say, well, we're the apostolic church. We keep the commandments of God. We keep the standards of righteousness top of the Bible. Can I just turn that around? We don't keep standards. Standards keep us. We don't keep commandments. Commandments keep us. If you live according to the word of God, it builds a fence around your life and you will be fortified for battle. We wear the girdle of truth. We wear the breastplate of righteousness. And we wear the sandals of the gospel, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, this is really interesting to me. A Roman soldier's leather sandals were bound all the way up around the ankle, but the unique thing about them was the soles of those sandals. Through that heavy leather, they were studded with hobnails. They literally would pound nails through the sole of the sandal so that he had, you talk about cleats, he could mess you up if he stepped on you. He had nails coming out of the bottom of his shoes. And that's so in whatever terrain he found himself, he could literally dig his feet into the soil, into the sod, into the sand, and he could stand his ground against the enemy. Let me tell you what does that for you. It is your confidence, your security in your relationship with God. If you've obeyed the gospel, we stand in the gospel. I am a child of God. I'm not part of this church because I'm so good, so worthy, so holy, so great. I'm here because he is so good. He is so worthy. He is so holy. He is so great. And so I have confidence because I've obeyed the gospel. I stand in the gospel and my feet are locked. And the devil can come try to push against you. But you stand because you are a child of God born again of the water and the spirit and you dig your feet in. The Bible refers to the gospel as the gospel of peace. It's peace between you and God. You're not at war with God anymore. There's a confidence between you and God. He's your father and you're his child. But the gospel doesn't become the gospel of peace when you hear about it. It doesn't become the gospel of peace when you read about it or when you even understand it. It only becomes the gospel of peace when you obey it. Now for me, I was baptized in the name of Jesus and received the baptism of the Holy Ghost in the month of February 1974 when I was 12 years old. I thank God for that experience. It changed me. I have never been the same in the eyes of God or even in my own heart since that experience. Haven't been perfect, haven't always done what probably I should have done, but I have never turned my back on God. I have stayed with God now for 50 some years. I am forever grateful that God is with me. I'm forever grateful. Now, now let me tell you something. 
When you're baptized in Jesus' name, it's kind of like getting married. You know when you got married, you stood maybe on a platform at an altar, and you looked at your beloved, and the pastor said, do you? And you said, I do. And that's how long it took. Two seconds. I do. And you've spent, some of you have spent, Beverly and I will be married 40 years in, uh, in June this year. We'll be married 40 years. I have spent, yeah. She's probably watching. She spies on you all the time. So she'll appreciate that. I have spent 40 years of my life figuring out what I promised in that two seconds. I'm still learning. Some of you spent longer. You're slow learners. You spent 50 or 60 years figuring out what you promised. Do you know that's like baptism? I was 12 years old when I was baptized. I didn't know everything baptism meant. I didn't know about covenants and it's New Testament circumcision and it's the blah, blah. I didn't know any of that. I figured that out over the years as I've studied the Bible. And every time I learned something new about what happened to me on that Sunday in the month of February 1972, I just thank God for it. Oh, that happened to me when I was baptized in Jesus' name. I've been living in that reality for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. I've been living in that reality. I'm so grateful to God for the privilege of obeying the gospel. Baptism puts you in Christ. And the Holy Ghost puts Christ in you, the hope of glory. And when you have experienced the gospel, there's no devil in hell that can shake you if you will stand because the gospel of peace is the nails in the bottom of your shoes. You can lock your feet and you can weather any storm, any battle, any attack from the enemy. So, the girdle of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the sandals of the gospel, and finally, the fourth thing we wear. There are four things we wear. The fourth thing we wear is the helmet of salvation. And the helmet of salvation, it's compared to that old helmet of a soldier in Bible times. It was made of leather. It was strengthened with metal. And it was vital for survival because it protected the head and the brain. Let me tell you what paid for your salvation. It was the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. And the blood provides daily protection for your mind. It allows you to reject thoughts that are sinful. It allows you to repel doubts that would cripple you because your mind is the battleground. But every day that you live, you need to plead the blood of Jesus over your mind because your mind is the battleground. But that blood that bought your salvation, it is a helmet to protect your mind. Oh my. Would you lift up your voice and just say, Jesus, I plead the blood over my mind today. I plead the blood over my life today. I plead the blood over my home today. I worship you, Jesus. So we wear four things, and we carry two things. And the first thing we carry is what God laid on my heart one month ago, the shield of faith. In Bible times, the shield was large. It wasn't made of 
metal. It was made of wood. And it was a big wooden shield, and it was covered with tough, thick leather. And those shields were constructed in such a way that an army of soldiers could literally fit their shields together side by side, and it created a wall, and they could literally move like a tank through an enemy battalion. They'd just keep pushing because their shields were side by side together in unity. It was like a solid wall of wood wrapped in leather. It was unbeatable. And that's why the enemy would send what the Bible refers to as fiery darts, or we would say burning arrows. They would put a flammable substance on the end of an arrow, and they would shoot it through the air, hoping to hit those wooden shields and penetrate them. Because a wooden shield, if you get enough fiery arrows that lodge in it, it sets that shield on fire, and then you can't carry a shield that's been lit on fire by the enemy. So then the soldier would have to discard the shield, and he'd have to fight without a shield. And that was dangerous. So the enemy was always, that's what Paul's referring to here, the enemy was always sending burning arrows flying at those soldiers. He was always sending fiery darts because a wooden shield could be set on fire. But soldiers, to prevent that, before every battle, they would go find a river or a lake and they would put those shields inside that water and they would just let them soak. They would let them soak until they were saturated with water. It made it a little more inconvenient. It made it a little bit heavier to carry. But if you could get your wooden shield saturated with water, if that leather was saturated and slick with water, then a fiery dart might come flying through the air, but it would just glance off. And even if it launched, it couldn't ignite a shield that had been soaked in water. Yeah, a dry shield could be set on fire, but a soaked shield could quench the fiery darts of the enemy. And that's why your shield of faith needs to be soaked in something. Let me tell you what you need to soak your shield of faith in. You need to soak your shield of faith in the Word of God. That's what Paul wrote in Ephesians, that he might sanctify and cleanse the church with the washing of water by the Word. That's why I'm in church on a Tuesday night. I need a little soaking in the Word of God. That's why I love church on Sunday. I need pastor to preach to me so I can soak my life in the Word of God. Say, what's that got to do with a shield of faith? Just everything. Romans 10 verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing comes by the Word of God. Preacher, preach to me. Pastor, preach to me. I just need to soak myself in the Word of God. I got to tell you, we don't need dead, dry, barren church services in Pentecost. We need services that are soaked in the Word of God, soaked in the Spirit of God, soaked in the worship of God's people, soaked in the move of the supernatural, soaked in miracles, signs, and wonders. 
I wish you'd lift up your hands and let the hunger that's in your soul come out of your mouth through your words. God, I'm hungry for a soaking. God, I'm hungry for you to just soak my life with your word. Soak my life with your promise. Soak my life with your spirit. Oh my. I don't want to bypass a moment here. I just want to hook on right there. Would you just one more time lift up your hands, lift up your voice, this great, great church. Your voice is really important. There are scriptures that tell us to lift up our hands. There are far more scriptures that tell us to cry aloud, shout unto God, lift up your voice like a trumpet. That's part of the soaking. That's part of the soaking. I need about 10 people to jump to your feet right now and just lift up your hands and just begin to pray out loud. I don't care what you pray as long as you're praying. We got way more than 10. Thank you, great church. You know what you're doing when you come to church? You're soaking yourself in the Word of God. You know what you're doing when you're praying? You're soaking yourself in the Spirit of God. I need my shield to be soaked. Just one more push. Would you do it? Just like a wave crashing on the seashore. Just let another wave of prayer come. Just let another wave of worship come. Just let another wave of intercession come. Go ahead and be seated for a minute. Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that, this is a tongue twister, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Noah Webster, if you look it up in the dictionary, he says, faith is firm belief in something for which there is no proof. Faith is complete confidence. The Bible scholar Warren Wearsby, he says this, true Bible faith is confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances and in spite of the consequences. And a youth pastor years ago said to me, he said, faith is the willingness to look foolish. And he's probably closer to the truth than you'd want to believe. Now in Hebrews chapter 11, it's not so much a definition of faith like a dictionary. It's telling us how faith works. Faith is the substance. That word means the support. It is the support of everything you hope for. 
The reason when I said be seated, you didn't freak out, look around, test everything. You have faith in those seats. You've proven them. You may be sitting in a different seat than you normally sit in, but you're sitting in a seat because so far we haven't had an accident where somebody fell down through a seat. The seats have held us. And so you have faith in them. Faith is the support. It is the undergirding of the things you are hoping for. And then he says, faith is the evidence. It's literally the proof of things not seen. What is your proof that you're going to be healed? Faith is my proof that I'm going to be healed. What is your proof that your backslider is going to come back to God and pray through in an altar? I'll tell you what my proof is. I can't point to any evidence. In fact, if I point at any recent conversation, they were negative. They were arguing. They were pushing back. They have no interest in God. But I do have some evidence that they're coming back to God. My faith is my evidence evidence. Faith is the proof. It is the evidence of things I can't even see. Have you seen it yet? No. Is there an x-ray or a CAT scan that proves it? No. But I have evidence that God is undertaken for me because I have faith in his word. That's why faith is a shield. Faith pushes back against everything the enemy throws against you. Now, verse 3 there says that through faith we understand that the worlds, everything you can see and touch and feel, they were framed by the Word of God. They weren't framed by some kind of scientific theory. The worlds were framed and formed by the Word of God. Watch this. So that things which are seen... Would you look at something you can see? I see this pulpit. I can touch this pulpit. I can see it. It's in the physical world. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. I know you think this pulpit came from trees, came from the wood, came from somebody in a sawmill somewhere, came from somebody doing a beautiful job putting this together. That's where it came from as far as we can trace it back. But if you trace this pulpit or the fibers of that chair or anything else in this room, if you trace it back to its origin, it all came from one place. God spoke it into existence. Everything you can see, God spoke into existence. So, so that's what he means. It's a tongue twister. Things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Everything you can see wasn't made from something you can see. It came from something you can't see. It came from the Word of God. God spoke it into existence. So my question for this great church and for every saint of God and for every father and mother and grandparent, every sibling in here, and you want God to do something in your family, here's my question. If God could speak everything you can see on this planet into existence, what in the world could he speak into existence in your house? What in the world could he speak into existence in your body that is is sick or in your family that is backslidden. If he could speak all of this into existence, he can speak what you need into existence. I love this pair of scriptures. Mark chapter 10. And Jesus looking upon them said, 
I know. With men, it is impossible. Somebody say, with men, it is impossible. Anybody know a situation right now connected to you, and with men, it is impossible? Anybody, you know somebody's got a doctor's diagnosis, and with men, it is impossible. Anybody know somebody that's got a rebellious teenager or some backslidden child or grandchild that is so far out in a world of sin, so far out in some perverted lifestyle that with men it is impossible. Jesus said with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. All things are possible. Possible. All things are possible. You know how when you win a prize at Burger King and they have that skill testing question? Forget Burger King. Tim Hortons. You know how when you win a prize in one of their little contests, free donut or something, sometimes they have a skill testing question. It's to prove that you've got enough brains to win a donut, I guess. I'm not sure why they do that. I got a squill, squill, a skill testing question for you tonight. How much is all? All is all. All is everything. All is anything. And so Jesus said, for with God, all things are possible. And then, if you want another scripture, I like this one too. Luke 1, verse 37. The angel said, For with God, nothing shall be impossible. A lot of the times we interpret those two verses the same. That with God, everything's possible. But could you look at that second verse in Luke 1, verse 37, a little different maybe. With God, because he's God. With God, because he can do all things. With God, because he's eternal. With God, because he's miraculous. Ending up with nothing is impossible. If you believe in God, he's not going to leave you hanging. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to. He's not breaking his promise. With God, nothing is impossible. You can't end up with nothing if you've given your life to God. You can't end up with nothing if you're holding on to the word of God. Hebrews 11 and 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. That's what's impossible. If you refuse to have faith in God, you can't please him. For he that cometh to God has to believe two things. You've got to believe, number one, that he is. So that combats atheism. And you have to believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That combats agnosticism, that God just doesn't care. I believe that God is, and I believe that God will reward me if I will diligently seek him. Sometimes we get tired from the battle. Sometimes we get tired from the opposition. Sometimes we get tired from praying and praying and praying and they still haven't come home and they still haven't come back to God and the healing still hasn't happened and we get tired. Let me tell you about tired. His name is Abraham. He is 100 years old and God just told him that you are going to have a son. Now that would make you tired. His wife's 90 years old. That would make her really tired. And here's what the Bible says about Abraham, Romans 4. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, 
But that old man was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. I cannot answer all your questions about the dealings of God. There are situations that boggle my mind. There are things I look at and think it's far too convoluted and twisted and upside down for it to turn out right. But here's what I know. I am persuaded that what God has promised, he is able also to perform. So if his word says, I am the Lord that healeth thee, and the doctor says there's no healing possible. I am persuaded that what God has has promised, he is able also to perform. I know that if you've got children or grandchildren or siblings that have pushed back against you and your God and your Bible and your faith and your church and they've argued against you and they've said, I'm not interested, I know it's difficult emotionally for you. But let me tell you something. When the Word of God says, I speak to the north, give up, and to the south, hold not back, bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth, even everyone that is called by my name, Here's what I'm convinced of. What God has promised, he is able also to perform. Somebody reach up, get a hold of that. Maybe just grab your fist as though you're holding on to a promise of God. Let your voice out one more time in this room. The promises of God are swirling around this church. There have been visions and dreams, prophetic words and preaching. There have been all kinds of words given to the people of God. Don't let go of your word. Don't let go of your promise. For what God has promised, he is able also to perform. And finally, we wear four things. We carry two things. We carry that shield of faith and we carry the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The sword is the only offensive weapon provided in the Christian's armor, but it's enough because my sword is the word of God. Hebrews 4 and verse 12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul, that's your mind, that's, that's the 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 individual part of you, and spirit, that's the eternal part of you. This word is so powerful that it can cut between your carnal thinking and the spirit of God that is in you. That's what happens when pastor's up here preaching and he speaks a word of faith over this congregation. If you're listening closely, you'll hear that word just slice between all the doubts and all the questions and all the arguments. And for just a moment, that word is so sharp, it cuts you apart from your carnal thinking. It cuts you apart from all that worldly thinking and it lets you step into the realm of faith where you can get a word from God. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. I want to tell you something very important here, and, and I need to just do like about this much Greek. And I know for some of you, uh, Greek, you don't know any Greek except the, the guy that runs the Greek restaurant, and that's the extent of your Greek. So that's okay, but, but just be patient with me for just a second. 
There are two major words for the Word of God in the New Testament. One is Logos. Logos is the whole counsel of the Word of God. Logos is all the revelation that's concerned, contained in the Word of God. That's Logos. In the beginning was the Logos, the full, total revelation of God. And, and the Word, the Logos, it became flesh. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us. So the Logos is the full revelation of God. And the full revelation of God is contained here. And it's contained in the man Christ Jesus. That's the Logos. That's not the word Paul uses here. Paul uses a different Greek word that's also used of the Word of God, and it's rima. And rima is not different than the Logos. It comes out of the Logos. You can't uh, have the whole Bible uh, run through your mind every day. You try your brain. You can't read the whole Bible every day. It's, 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 it's impossible for your human brain to do that. So, so the whole Word of God is the whole counsel of God. A rima word from God is a specific word from God for a specific moment, for a specific circumstance, for a specific time or trial. It's specific for you. When Jesus was in the wilderness and the devil was tempting him, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He did not use the word logos there, the whole counsel of God, the whole revelation of God. He used the word rima. A specific word from God can enter into your life and it can sustain you and it can equip you for battle. The devil is not concerned about a bunch of scriptures that you read and checked off your Bible reading chart. He's not concerned about a bunch of scriptures that you memorized years ago and they're all dusty and you've never used them. I'll tell you what the devil is afraid of. He's afraid that sometime today you got a word from God for your life out of the word of God. You might have got it in church. You might have got it in your daily Bible reading. You might have got it in prayer. That's what the devil's afraid of and because because that's what Paul said, that the word of God, the, the, the rema of God, if you've got a specific word from God, God spoke it over your kids. God spoke it over your life. God spoke it over your health. God spoke it over your future. God spoke it over your church, and you've got a hold of it. The devil's afraid of that because that word from God is sharper than any two-edged sword. You can't beat the devil back with a bunch of scriptures that are old old and dusty that you haven't thought about for years. But I'll tell you what you can beat him back with. You got a word from God today for your life. You're operating on a word that you got this week from pastor. And you're, you're wielding that sword of the Spirit. That's the sword of the Spirit. Psalm 149 verse 6, almost done. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth. You know what high means? It means high, means lifted up, means loud and exuberant and excited and boisterous. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. The devil is terrified of somebody that goes to worship in God and their worship is based on the word of God. That will beat the devil back every single time. Now let me hook into the vein that we were in last night. We wear four things, we carry two things, and we do one thing. Praying always with all prayer and supplication for all saints. 
you cannot fight the devil in your own strength. Praying always does not mean always saying prayers. Praying always means something different entirely. If you've got one of these things, they call them a smartphone. I'm not sure that's even true. I've met some dumb people with smartphones. Some of you, that's your word. Go home. Be blessed. <laughs> if you got one of those, you know what this means. Because somebody will call you at an inopportune time, and you know what you do? You put them on speakerphone. You lay that thing down. You just do whatever you were going to do anyway. They're talking over there. Sometimes you're not, confession's good for the soul, you're not even listening to them. You just circle back around once in a while and say, mm-hmm, isn't that something? Go wash your dishes. That nervous laughter in this room means that you've done it today. <laughs> Do you know what praying always means? It doesn't mean you're always talking, always kneeling. It means that you keep God on speakerphone all day long, every day in your life. Praying always. That at any moment, at any time, in any situation, for any reason, you don't have to say, hey, God, it's me. We haven't talked for a while. Need to get reacquainted. I got a bad request here. I've got a major situation here. I've got a real need here. You don't have to do that because you've kept God on speakerphone all day long. You talk with him every once in a while. You just worship him every once in a while. You're in his presence constantly. You may not be praying every single moment of every single day with your words, but you're staying in an attitude of prayer all day long. So you have a word of prayer, but then you go and you have a day when you keep the phone off the hook and you keep God on speakerphone. So you don't have to wait to get back in his presence. You're walking in his presence. You're walking in his spirit. You can slip into that vein of prayer. The devil's terrified of people like that. He says, praying Always with all supplication for all saints. Supplication in the spirit. Supplication for all saints. Supplication is a word we don't use very much anymore. But supplication is a powerful prayer word. Supplication, we sometimes, if you look it up in the dictionary, you'll ruin it. Because the dictionary will tell you that supplication means begging or pleading. And that is not what supplication means, scripturally speaking. Supplication doesn't mean begging. Supplication means insisting. It's not pleading in the sense of begging. It is pleading in the sense of a legal pleading like you'd see in a courtroom. I have a document that says this. You can't take my property because I have an owner's deed to this property. So I have a legal pleading that says you can't do what you want to do. That is the biblical sense of supplication. When I go to God in prayer and I pray a prayer of supplication, I'm not begging God. I am binding the devil. I am saying, I have a document here that says you have no authority here. I have a document here that says you can't boss me around. I have a document here that says when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. So I pray prayers that loose what God wants loosed and bind what I don't want the devil to be able to do. 
That's what Jesus was saying in Matthew 16, verse 19. I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Talked about it for a minute last night. When you pray yes to God's will, you are loosing what God has decreed. But you know, just the same as you need to pray yes to God's kingdom and yes to God's will, you also need to stand your ground, lock your sandals in the soil, and you need to pray no to the devil's kingdom and no to the devil's will. I loose the promises of God, but I bind the tactics of the enemy. Now, it's been there the whole time. Put on the whole armor of God. Everyone say, put on the whole armor of God. You see it? Put on the whole armor of God. It's not your armor. It's God's armor. Do you know there's a story in your Bible in the book of 1 Kings about a king that went out to battle and he disguised himself because he knew if he wore his armor, he'd be recognized by the enemy. So he wore somebody else's robe because if you wear your armor, you're recognizable. Do you realize why David didn't want to wear Saul's armor? It didn't fit him. It wasn't his armor. Armor's customized to the person that wears it. Do you realize when you do what we've been talking about tonight, you soak your shield of faith in the Word of God, you get familiar with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, you put on that helmet of salvation, that breastplate of righteousness, and that belt of truth. When you do that, do you understand what you're doing? You are robing yourself, equipping yourself, dressing yourself in the whole armor of God. It's not your armor. It's God's armor. Which means when you're dressed up in the armor of God and you walk into a room, when hell looks at you, what they see is God. They just see that God just walked into the room. When you're wearing God's armor, you look like God. When you're wearing God's armor, hell thinks we better give this one a wide berth because that's God's armor. That's God's word. That's God's faith. That's God's righteousness. That's God's truth. You understand a little bit about how powerful you are, but not one of us in this room understand really how powerful we are when we are dressed up in the armor of God. It's not your armor. It's God's armor. That's why the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. When you wear this armor, To the devil, you look like God just walked into your situation. He can't do anything about it. Why is it a good fight? It's a good fight because God is fighting for you. It's a good fight because you win. It's a good fight because the devil loses. It's a good fight because whatever battle you're in tonight, it has an expiration date. And it's a good fight because no matter what you're going through, the battle only makes you stronger. That's why it's a good fight. I want you to come with your family, if you would, tonight. They might not be sitting with you. 
but I'd like you to come to this altar with your family as many and as quickly as you can to get up here, bring your family. If your young people are at the front, I would like you to get with them as well tonight. For the past month at CCC, I've been teaching a series on the family because the family is under attack in this generation. The family is under attack in the last of the last days and the end of the end times. The devil wants to destroy your family because if he destroys strong families, he can destroy strong churches. When you come, would you just step right as close as you can to the middle and I want you to come with your family and we're going to pray in just a moment. The most important people on this planet who should know that you pray and who should be able to hear you pray once in a while are your family members. If you're backward and shy and you can't pray around your family members, you need to correct that in Jesus' name. Your family needs to know that you pray. Your family needs to know that you pray for them. Your family needs to know that you can go to war in the spirit if all hell breaks loose in their life. The devil's trying to attack the family like never before. He's trying to attack marriage like never before. He's trying to twist and pervert and turn human sexuality into a pretzel so that he can destroy those who are created in the image of God. And the only thing that holds the line against hell is right here. People who pray, people who look at God's word and say, that's my word. Can, can you um, go back to the slide? Just I think it's just before this. Yeah. That's why you need the shield of faith right there. Because when you pray in faith, you're not just protecting your life. You're guarding your children. You're guarding your grandchildren. You're guarding your pastor and your church. You're guarding everybody that's important to you. I'm enlisting a little prayer army for the next season of harvest, the next season of the miraculous, the next season of revival right here at the Anchor Church and in every one of the daughter works that are associated with this church and in every one of the counties where this church is represented. I'm enlisting some people that say, I'm going to take that shield of faith and I'm going to push the enemy back. Let me tell you, if we can lock arms as families, if we can lock arms as a church family, we can put our shield of faith together and we can push the enemy back. Would you lift up your hands with the hands of your family? Would you lift up your voice together as a family? And would you go to prayer for a moment? Yes, 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 yes. What are we doing, Pastor Raymond? We're pushing the enemy back. He has no right to invade your home. He has no right to addict your teenager. He has no right to pervert your innocent children. I'm pushing him back. I've got the shield of faith, and I've got a church family, an army, that we're going to lock our shields together, and we're going to push. If you've never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, what a great atmosphere you're in on this Tuesday night. You can receive the Holy Ghost right now while we're praying together. 
If you need a healing in your body, if you need a deliverance in your mind, if you need a miracle in your family, you can receive it right now because we're pushing with our shield of faith together, side by side. This is the army of the Lord. This is the church. Yes, 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 yes. Do not stop praying. I just want you to do this. I want you to turn to another family. Your family with their family. Just turn. Doesn't matter if you've never even met them before. Just turn around to another family. Lay your hands on their family members. Let them lay your ha- their hands on your family members. Don't stop praying. Lift up your voice together and pray in unity for another family. Because this is the family of God. If you're here all alone tonight, the Bible says he sets the solitary in families. This This is your family. This is your family. Pray for their children. Pray for their needs. Pray for their home. Yes! Yes! Taking the shield of faith wherewith you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. It doesn't matter how he's attacking you. You can push him back. You have a right to fight in the spirit. Some of you have instinctively done this. The Bible does say that God puts the solitary in families. If there's nobody else in your household that serves God, this is your family right here. Would you just, as we're coming to a close in this service, would you just start walking around this altar and whoever you see, just lay your hand on them and just greet them in Jesus' name. Say a prayer of blessing over them. Don't just chat with them. Say a prayer of blessing over them. Especially if you know they don't have any family that comes to the anchor. You pray a prayer of blessing on them. There are young people in this room that God has his hand on their future. He's got a destiny for them. There are precious seniors that have kept this church going in prayer for decades. And we owe them a debt of gratitude. There are young couples raising their kids to know Jesus. We're so proud of them. There are teenagers that are living godly in an ungodly world. They're worthy of you blessing blessing them in Jesus' name. This is the church. This is God's family. This is God's army. Thanks again for listening to the Anchor Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Zanesville area, we invite you to join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at theanchor.church. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.